Welcome to The Politics Guys. I'm Michael Baranowski, a political scientist at Northern Kentucky University. Before I get to the show today, I've got some news. Politics Guys gear is now available. Now, for a while, people have been asking about when we'd be getting show-related swag, you know, t-shirts, mugs, tote bags, and so on. And I kept on saying, I'm working on it. And finally, I actually got off my butt and made it happen. And we've got a lot more than t-shirts, mugs, and tote bags, too, though we have those. Uh, To check out the full line of Politics Guys gear, all sorts of interesting stuff, go to our website, politicsguys.com, and click on the Politics Guys gear link. And if you do get something, send us a picture of you with your t-shirt, mug, or whatever it is, and we'll post it on social media if you want, and maybe even feature you in our newsletter, which... By the way, we hope to bring back sometime soon with things like listener profiles, a listener of the week, your letters and comments, more of what we're reading, watching, and listening to, and some exclusive analysis. All right, let's get to today's show. With me today for our weekly news analysis show is my co-host, attorney and Republican strategist, Jay Carson. Now, before we get to our news stories for this week, we woke up this morning with news of the uh, London attacks. And of course, while we're not going to cover that at length, it's still a developing story. Uh, Certainly, our hearts go out to those uh, affected in this uh, this tragic incident. We lead off this week with President Trump's announcement that the United States will be pulling out of the Paris Climate Change Accord, an agreement the United States entered into in 2015 in which signatory countries made non-binding commitments to help mitigate global warming. The United States now joins Syria and Nicaragua as the only countries that are not part of the agreement. That's right, even North Korea signed on to this. Um, Now, the president framed the withdrawal, which won't take effect until late 2020, in economic terms, arguing that it was a bad deal for the United States that would cost millions of American jobs and up to $3 trillion in lost GDP. So, Jay, what do you think? Did President Trump make the right call here? I, I think he did, and I know he he let you down. You were really you were really hopeful yeah, hoping last week against when hope, he was still yeah. sort of kicking it around. That, yeah. Um, no, I think this this is uh, the right decision, uh, as you point out. Uh, you know the look, I, and I think I don't know the, what I what I'd focus on first is just the uh, the wailing and gnashing of teeth uh, that that you're hearing from from uh, the coasts, and, and I have to think that that is that is the sound of the swamp being drained. Um, if this is again, a completely voluntary, uh, uh pact, uh, and pact isn't even a, a really the best word for it. Uh, if you look at what it could actually accomplish, assuming everyone, uh, all these countries, uh, including North Korea, uh, did what they were committed to do under it, uh, the effect on climate based on the science, if you accept that as, as a given, uh, is, is so minimal uh, it, to be really sort of sort of pointless and to to lose money to to put your economy at risk um, in order to to gain that sort of very negligible benefit years and years down the road, I, I think is is a bad idea. And I think you're better off um, you know having a a stronger economy because what's what we've seen you know throughout history since the beginning of the environmental movement, let's call it probably in the nineteen. 40s or 50s, when we first started being uh, concerned about uh, this type of thing, is uh, those countries that are are richer, have uh, better standards of living, are the ones who take on environmental issues, who who tackle them, who it, it matters to. Um, so I, I think, uh, you know, as I said last week, you know, stay in, stay out. It's not going to matter one way or the other. Uh, I, I, I'm, I found it kind of refreshing that, uh, he chose to, uh, to say, we're not going to do this. There's, there's sort of a, an honesty there. Uh, uh, so. Well, you know, a couple of points there is that some of the things you were saying, number one, I, I guess I'm a little, I'm a little hazy on the logic of, well, since it doesn't do enough, we should do nothing. Uh, maybe that's, that's another point. I, I would argue that I think, most of the signatory countries felt that, well, understood that this would not go as far as we would like, as at least as people in the environmental community would like and, and a lot of countries would like, but that it was seen as sort of a uh, an opening move, a start, something that one could build on. And that's something that, you know, you and I talked about around the time it was uh, sure. actually being signed. Uh, a second thing I guess I, I would say is, you know, your point about 
uh, how the more developed countries are the ones who uh, have tackled this sort of thing. And, you know, you're absolutely right. And so in a way, I guess this is going to sound weird. Um, and, and my friends on the left, hang on before you, before you, you, you freak out <laughs> on me here. But in a way, I agree with President Trump. Now, he said it's a bad deal for the United States. And I would say, in a certain sense, yes, it's a bad deal. It's, it's, it's disproportional. Well, yeah, yeah. Well, it's a bad deal in the same way that progressive income tax is a bad deal for the 1%. I mean, yeah, I don't like that either. Well, <laughs> well, see, I like both of those things. And here's my and my fundamental belief, and I think the fundamental belief of a lot of my a lot of folks on the left is that people in countries that can afford to do more for the planet should do more. And l- let me just try to put this in the context a little bit with some data, if you don't mind, Jay. Um, oh, I love. Yeah, you're the data guy. Okay, yeah. so w- the United States is the uh, second largest polluter in the world, right? You're you're aware. Well, of that. I would say yeah, if you want to Overall. say carbon emitter, yeah, yeah. polluter seems okay. sort of a loaded term, sure. but carbon okay. emitter in the world. Well, now well, as, as we all exhale carbon dioxide, we're all sort of polluters, I suppose, in that sense. But sure. yes, now the number one polluter is China, right? Now, yes. if you take a look at where China's economy, and it's is, also I, I should point out it's it's the number one by a lot. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, that's, a, think, that's an important point. And I, I, I don't know the something cubic tons off the top of my head, but their, their emissions no. are something to two to, to three times what ours are. Yeah. Now, okay. Now China's GDP per capita is around $8,000 in this is all, all in us dollars. That's where the United States was around a century ago. The number three polluter polluter, India, their GDP per capita is around $1,600 U.S., around where the U.S. was 200 years ago. The number four polluter is Russia. Their GDP per capita is around $9,100 U.S., where we were around 80 years ago. And even Japan, which is obviously a very advanced economy, their GDP per capita is around $3,200, sorry, $32,500. That's where the U.S. was around 30 years ago. So we're, we're way you know, more advanced in terms of GDP per capita or wealthier, I guess, in terms of that. And mm-hmm. so my feeling is that, and I think, again, the feeling a lot of folks on the left share and a lot of European countries share is that those who are at a point where they can do more and also are major polluters should be doing more. And that's what's really, uh, that's that's the fairness issue is that to those who have more should be required to do more. Now, I know you got a response to that and and uh, definitely we'll, we'll hear that. But before we get to that, uh, I, I want to welcome a new sponsor to the show this week, SeatGeek. You know, they recently made a major commitment to the show, at least by our sort of scrappy independent podcast <laughs> standards. Um, and so we really hope you'll check them out and let them know they spent their ad dollars wisely and well. Um, so here's the deal. Buying tickets to sporting events and concerts, that can be a real pain. I don't have to tell you that, I'm sure. But it doesn't have to be a real pain. SeatGeek gives you a smart and simple way to get tickets to stuff. With SeatGeek, you can find the best seats at the best prices, fully guaranteed, and it only takes a few taps. Now, I've got the SeatGeek app on my phone just yesterday. I used it to check out where my favorite band, the old 97s, was playing. I found the venue that was a reasonable drive for me, and I was ready to buy my ticket all in less than 30 seconds. Actually, I timed it. It was 24 seconds. I wanted to be, you know, precise in terms of how quick it was. 24 seconds, okay? And I'm a slow, you know, phone typer. Now, plus, with SeatGeek, you can track and get updates on venues, events, and performers you'd like to see. So, like, the next time the old 97s or Hayes Carl or Diana Krall are performing anywhere near Cincinnati— I'm going to know about it. And you can even connect with Spotify, your music library, and Facebook to get notifications about artists you listen to or follow. Although that's easy to turn off if you're not a big notification person. Um, And when you buy a ticket, they'll even put the day and time of the event on your calendar if you want. So that's pretty cool. That's very cool. Yeah. And best of all, Politics Guys listeners get $20 off their first SeatGeek purchase. Just download the SeatGeek app and enter promo code Politics guy. Now, there's no S. I don't know why, but it just just plain politics guy. Okay, enter that promo code today and promo code politics guys. Sorry, I did it myself. Politics guy for twenty dollars off. Twenty dollars off your first Sea Geek purchase. We hope you'll check it out. Okay, so Jay, on to your response to my uh, my argument that well, sure, it's unfair in one sense, but that uh, countries that are wealthier and can afford to pay more 
or contribute more, should contribute more. What do you, what do you have to say to that? Uh, yeah, maybe it's unfair, but if you are the, the president of, of the United States, if you're the Senate of the United States, which again, the, the treaty was never even uh, uh, presented to the Senate. Uh, because which is why Trump can pull out. Conclusion, yeah. it, would, uh, it would go down in flames. Oh, yeah. Uh, you have to take a look at what, what's your first responsibility. Is it to the citizens of your country or is it to uh, being fair to uh, competing economies? Um, again, China uh, is uh, uh, <laughs> very much an economic competitor of ours. Uh, to the extent that, that uh, uh, you as the, the president were, would, would say, oh, let's, let's give them a break because they're not as advanced as we are, uh, that's a tough sell to a lot of people who were, who were put out of work uh, by some of these, these uh, uh, you know, yeah. carbon, yeah. carbon limits. Carbon. Now, again, I want to I be clear, because I, I, we've talked about this a bazillion times, I don't think the, the decline in, in uh, American industrial economy is, is based solely or, or, or even largely on, uh, you know, our, 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 our attitude towards carbon. Right. Uh, there's a, there's a, about a zillion other factors, the biggest of which is, you know, technology, second, which is probably demographics. Um, but, and the but coal it, industry it is help. not very big either. I mean, we talked yeah. about that before as well. And so, you know, I'm glad you you brought that economic part of it in there because a lot of folks are arguing that what we're essentially doing is we're, you know, we're not focusing nearly enough on what's clearly the energy of the future, and that's renewables. China is making massive investments in clean energy. I mean, in 2015, they invested over $100 billion in clean energy. That's over double what the U.S. government invested. Uh, and, and there are, this is where the jobs are. Uh, since, uh, according to a, a Forbes, since 2014, solar installation has created more jobs in the U.S. than oil and gas pipeline construction and petroleum and natural gas extraction combined. There are four times, around four times as many American jobs in solar energy than there are in coal mining. I mean, so, you know, I think it's a reasonable argument to say if you're really concerned about jobs, don't try to save jobs that you're not going to bring or bring back jobs you're not going to bring back. Focus on where the jobs are going to be in the future. And that's pretty clearly clean energy. And so I, I would argue that a, a serious commitment to clean energy is actually makes good economic sense. And I know President Trump cited that study and that study has been, I, I would say a lot of folks on the left have some real problems with it, feel that it's been debunked and so forth. But Almost everyone agrees that the future seems to be in in this sort of thing, and certainly China agrees. And and I think we're just being really blind to not focus on the future and focusing so much on the past here. Well, you can you can focus on the future. I mean, again, there's nothing. I mean, this is this is the the strange logic that I I, I get from from the left is that somehow uh, unless we agree to the the uh, the Paris Accords. Uh, you know, we're, we will be prohibited from from you know looking into uh, alternative alternative fuel sources. Um, look, companies are doing this already, uh, as you point out, because uh, either they're they're afraid that uh, you know these these fuels aren't renewable, and eventually we're going to get to a point where the the cost of extracting uh, becomes uh, too much to bear. Um, and uh, or the or the other uh, situation is they're concerned about regulation coming down the pike, and they want to position themselves uh, in a place where they they can be uh, out front. And and which is again sort of funny because you you had some of these energy companies, Exxon for example, uh, who were one of the groups saying, oh geez, we should have stuck in uh, the, uh, the 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 Paris Agreement yeah. because. Uh, they have a stronger position, a bigger position in natural gas than they do in in uh, coal and oil uh, right. at this point, um, or at least a, a relatively stronger position in natural gas, which would have been favored. Uh, and uh, you know, it's it's this kind of thing that the, the fact that so many industry people are uh, saying, "Oh, we should have been in it." That's that gives you a, a little bit of a clue. And look, if if this is if this is a good idea. Uh, uh, companies and people will will do it uh, on their own, and they won't have to be uh, either subsidized, uh, or we won't be subsidizing other countries to invest in this kind of energy. Well, I, I mean, and I, I hear what you're saying here, but also I think that number one, of course, is as I think you mentioned that, and I mentioned that these that this was a non-binding thing, right? And it seems right. like, and this is kind of for me the the positive way to look at it. It seems like we're 
moving in this direction anyway. Industry is moving in this direction. This technology is moving in this direction, you know, and so that's a very positive thing all around, I think. But given that, given the fact that almost every country in the world has signed on to this, and, and we're just, you know, then just the argument that we're basically kind of abrogating our, our, our global leadership role in this. And since it wasn't binding, we certainly have a lot better uh, ability to, to uh, you know, work with other countries and to kind of move toward this future and to protect the environment if we're part of this agreement than if we're out of this agreement, just basically giving the, you know, uh, the, uh, the middle finger to, to, you know, the rest of the world and saying, well, we're going to go our own way because we're the United States and you're not, you know, that to well, me is, that to me is just ridiculous. Uh, the, I, I was hoping you bring up the, that whole leadership argument, because again, to me, that's, and this is sort of separate from the, the merits of, the, of getting in or getting out, but uh, the the idea that that the U.S. is not a global leader because they won't do what everybody else is telling them to do. Uh, the the real complaint is that the U.S. is not a global follower. Um, but they're non-binding you know, agreements. I mean, we can you know that's that's what I'm saying. And you know, I guess you know, and this gets into this whole issue of of soft power, right? And and, and right. for listeners who aren't familiar, soft power is that idea that you can actually uh, get other countries or get other countries to kind of go along and do things in the international community, not by threat of force or economic sanction, but through, uh, you know, a positive example and so forth. And there are arguments certainly about the extent to which soft power matters, but it seems to me that the Trump administration, particularly president Trump feels that soft power is completely unimportant. And, and, Again, you can have a debate about how important soft power is, but the idea that it isn't important at all, even someone like President Reagan, again, we've, we talked about this before, that whole shining city on the hill thing, believed that the United States should be uh, a moral and ethical example to the rest of the world. And, you know, some people may scoff at that. Maybe Donald Trump scoffs at that. But certainly for, for many generations, both Democrats and Republicans have believed in that, and I still believe in that. Okay, I, I get I get where you're coming from there. Let me let me just ask you this: What would, uh, if if the U.S. had had stayed in, uh, what would be the difference? I think what what yeah. what would we accomplish that we couldn't accomplish now on our own? Well, I think we by staying in, it's uh, it's more a matter again, kind of getting into the soft power and so forth. In that in that we would still be able to work to you know, perhaps within the parameters of that agreement. Sorry. You still there, Jay? Yeah, I'm here. Okay. So, I mean, I, I think, I guess what, I guess what I'm saying is that I don't see any value in getting, maybe turning it around. I don't see any value in getting out of the agreement aside to basically say, you know, the F you to the rest of the world. And so given that it just makes more sense to stay in because we're not being forced to follow. I think it just, again, I think it's just a matter of showing that we care about this issue. I mean, heck, President Trump, <laughs> pre, no, President. There it, there it is. It's showing that we care. And that's that's the so kind of moral preening that, that you and it's I not, so it's, often but it's uh, not argue preening. against. It's not preening. We do care. Supposedly, President Trump says he cares about the environment, right? Now, that seems to me to be highly unlikely, given the fact that he installed Scott Pruitt at the EPA and he gutted the clean power plan and fuel economy standards. But I guess he thinks he cares about the environment. I don't think he cares about the environment so much. I think he cares about short-term jobs at the cost of long-term environmental degradation. And we're going to end up paying for it 20, 30, 40 years down the road. And I think that is... Uh, unfortunate. And, you know, I can only hope that, of course, you know, that, that we actually won't be pulled out of this agreement until late 2020. And I can only hope that, you know, President Booker or President Harris will get us back into <laughs> this agreement when uh, people come to their senses. Providing that the world hasn't ended by then uh, from from uh, uh, the, you know, the, the global warming and the rising tides and so forth. And, and I'll, I'll get I'll, I'll put down my marker here. Uh, God willing, if we're still uh, uh, around 40 years from now, um, we'll, we'll, we will check the global temperatures and we'll see how it, uh, worked out. Uh, uh, but, but to me that the Trump stepping out had, had the, uh, effect of, uh, essentially, essentially saying, uh, the emperor has no clothes, uh, on this. And I, and I think that's, that's sometimes a good thing to say. 
Yeah, well, I, I, on this issue, I think you and I are, are very much in, in disagreement. And, you know, it reminds me uh, just last week in, in our show, somebody uh, wrote in the Facebook saying, man, you guys agree on so much. And Mike just, just wants to go along with everything Jay says. And I said, just wait till this week because I think <laughs> you're going to see something different. And sure enough, I was I was right about that. OK, before we get to our next story, we want to thank our Second sponsor of today's show, longtime sponsor, Dollar Shave Club, the smarter choice. With Dollar Shave Club, you get a great shave at a great price delivered right to your door. You know, for years, I've been an electric razor guy, not because I'm particularly fond of electric razors, but because I got tired of having to go to the store and pay big bucks for replacement cartridges, right? I mean, I tried cheap disposables too, and that was pretty much a, a bloody disaster, essentially. So Dollar Shave Club solves all these problems. You get a great razor, cartridges, their Dr. Carver Shave Butter, which is way better than the shaving cream I used to use. Jay, I know you use Dollar Shave Club too, right? What do you think I about do. it? I do, and I gotta, gotta tell you, I love it. I said this before when we they first became a sponsor. I actually enjoy shaving. I mean, I, I look forward to it. Uh, and as uh, as someone who is sort of the, the conservative uh, voice of reason, I have sort of an image to uphold. <laughs> I, I can't run around looking like a, a scruffy hippie. Um, so Absolutely. obviously, um, you know, being clean shaven, looking looking good is, is important. And it gets the closest shave I've gotten uh, from any other, uh, uh, you know, regular razor. Uh, so I, I, I am, uh, uh, I think it's, it's a great product and it's the convenience is, uh, is unmatched. Absolutely. And you too can make the smarter choice by joining Dollar Shave Club for a limited time. New members get the first month of that executive razor with a tube of the Dr. Carver shave butter for only $5. And that's with free shipping. And after that razors are just a few bucks a month. In your first month box, you'll get that awesome weighty handle, a full cassette with four cartridges, months worth, a tube of the shave butter, and after that, replacement cartridges ship automatically at their regular price. No hidden fees, no commitments. You can cancel any time you like, but you're not going to want it, but you could if you wanted to. Anyway, join the club today at dollarshaveclub.com slash TPG. That's dollarshaveclub.com slash TPG. Okay. Moving on, next we turn to a country the U.S. media has largely forgotten about, Afghanistan. This week, a massive truck bombing in Kabul killed 90 people and injured hundreds, including 11 Americans. Now, while the Taliban said it was not responsible for the bombing, many believe that a more radical group connected to the Taliban, did I just say that? A more radical group connected? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But anyway, yeah. that believe that they were, in fact, responsible. And, you know, it's the latest in a string of attacks going back to the end of 2014 when the United States ended combat operations in the country after a war that had lasted 14 years, costed $773 billion, and resulted in the loss of around 3,600 U.S. lives, over 20,000 wounded on the U.S. side, and the death of over 26,000 Afghan civilians. So why are we bringing this up? Well, the Trump administration is considering increasing our current troop levels from the current 8,400 in-country at the request of General John Nicholson, who's the U.S. commander in Afghanistan. Um, not too long ago, he told the Senate Foreign Relations Committee that the war there against the Taliban was at a stalemate and that a few thousand more troops would be necessary to tilt the balance. And so this seems like a particularly appropriate time to consider you know, what exactly we've achieved in Afghanistan and whether or not we should uh, go big, go home, or occupy some sort of middle ground. So, Jay, what do you think? Uh, I, I would say, and again, you probably would expect this from me, I would expect the, the bigger, the uh, the go big. Um, let's, let's go in and, and make sure that we have the troop strength needed to stabilize uh, a, a democratic, or at least as democratic as, as, as possible, Afghan government. Um, you know, I think that was the mistake that uh, that happened in Iraq was that there was the complete pullout, uh, which which uh, let ISIS uh, sprout from that. Um, you know, the, it, looking back, the, the whole reason that uh, we invaded Afghanistan was because the Taliban provided the safe haven where uh, terrorists could uh, could work and flourish. Um, and, and that's that's the that's the challenge that, that we face. And it's a different kind of challenge. Uh, than the U.S. has faced in in former in prior wars because uh, it's it's not just a matter of holding ground although holding ground is part of it uh, it's a matter of of getting the the populace on board I mean the, the cliche winning the hearts and minds um, 
but uh, to to do that, if you're going to have the the populace come around uh, to you, they've got to feel that they have some sense of protection and that the uh, U.S. Uh, the allies, as it were, uh, in this case, there's you know certainly more more countries than just the United States. Uh, are are around for the long term uh, aren't going to just uh, just leave and and leave them in a situation uh, where where either the Taliban or as we as you pointed out someone more radical than the Taliban uh, is you know that they're they're left unprotected. You know I I sympathize with your view. I, I but the more I think about Afghanistan, the more I think that we're maybe guilty of not guilty of, but we're we're maybe falling prey to what's called the sunk cost fallacy. And I'm I'm sure you're familiar with the sunk cost fallacy. It's basically, right. you know, in for a penny, in for a pound kind of thing. Now, right. certainly seven hundred seventy three billion is a lot more than a penny. Um, but here are some facts about Afghanistan. Let me just throw this out to give people some context, okay? Um, Afghanistan, uh, around two-thirds of the country, under 25 years old, unemployment rate is around 35%. Uh, their GDP per capita is around $2,000. I mean, they're, they're ranked, uh, according to the CIA World Factbook, around 206 out of 230. Uh they're incredibly corrupt. The Economist Democracy Index ranks them as 149 out of 167. Uh, this is this is a this is a poor, uh, just disaster of a country. It's been that way. I mean, there's certainly the influence of British colonialism. It's just a it's a big steaming mess. And that's not to you know it's it's horrible to live there, obviously. But I think this is the sort of thing that we are maybe best out of. And, and, you know, again, I sympathize with, with your view, but I think the sort of resources that it would take to make a material difference, this is where I agree with former president George W. Bush. You said we shouldn't be in the business of nation building. It's hard enough to do under good circumstances, but with a, with a country like Afghanistan, that the institutions aren't there, the the respect for democratic norms or anything like that is not there. And so I just think it's just an incredible waste of our resources. And we just can't, I just don't think it, I just don't think it makes any sense really. Yeah, I, I get the, you know, and it was the, we don't want to be involved in nation building is, is something that politicians say a lot when, there's no real threat on the the horizon, um, uh, but I, I think as we've as we've seen, especially with uh, you know just what happened in London yesterday, uh, that either either we'll have to accept the new normal of you know periodic terrorist attacks against civilians, um, uh, or, you know, and, and or just let let that go. And, and the, the their problem is that. It 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 doesn't stay local, you know what I'm you know what I'm saying. Yeah. It's, it's one thing to say if there is a failed state uh, and uh, they are simply there and uh, life is crummy for their people, um, but other than that, they're not really causing anybody else any trouble. That's one thing. Uh, but uh, when you have these places that that breed uh, terrorism that spreads to the rest of the world, uh, we either have to make up our minds that we're just going to live with that. Uh, or that we're going to do something about it, and even if that that cost is is high, and and I I don't necessarily have an answer for that. And I, I again I would agree with you that Afghanistan has been a mess, uh, not just since we were there, but since the Russians were there, and again since the British were there. And if if you're familiar with sort of your classical history, since Alexander the Great was there, I mean this. I mean, a long I, time. I, I, yeah. Of course, I mean some there's some historians talk about there are just areas geographically that are just sort of flashpoints. Um, because of where they're located, because of the the you know mix of of, of people, ethnicities, and and so forth. And I mean, Afghanistan may just be one of those places that it it's it's always going to be uh, sort of the problem child. But um, no, I I hear I hear what you're saying. So so I mean, maybe it's not a question of go big or go home. Maybe it's just a question of I guess from what you're saying is you think we should resign ourselves to having a. a not insignificant true presence there for pretty much forever. And just assuming that we're, we're going to have to do, you know, periodic or uh, regular airstrikes and supporting the Afghan uh, uh, military and the, their, their corrupt repressive government because the alternative is worse. Yes. 
Yeah. I mean, in a word. Yeah. And that's, again, you say these things like, well, look, we don't want to be America, the, the world's police force. Um, and, and yeah, we don't. Uh, but the alternative is to live with no police force. Yeah, so I, I guess I, yeah. I, I think that's, that's, that's right. It's, it's a, it's a tough decision, but, uh, uh, and, and look, we don't know. I mean, maybe, maybe there, there are alternatives to, you know, going big, going home and keep in mind, we've, we've kept troops in, in places like, uh, Japan for, for 50 some years. We kept troops in Germany. Uh, again, the circumstances were, were different. Uh, but, um, it's certainly not unheard of to have a, a stabilizing force remain uh, uh, afterwards sure. uh, to help help shore things up. No, I, I hear what you're saying, and I guess I guess my reaction was mostly to the people who say we need to we need to win this. We need to take care of the Taliban. We need to eliminate these groups in Afghanistan. And, and to me, given all the stuff I mentioned about the country, that's not going to happen. And I think you probably agree with me about that. We just simply don't have the will or I would argue maybe even the resources to eliminate terrorism on a significant, you know, completely or even mostly in Afghanistan. I think we probably can contain it, but we have to understand that's going to come at the cost of, you know, probably a higher troop level than we have uh, for an extended period and supporting a, a pretty awful regime. Uh, and, you know, also, you know, a fair amount of money cost and cost occasionally in American lives and also in the lives of, you know, the civilians and other folks that we end up uh, that that end up being lost because of what we do. Yeah. And yeah, no, I. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's pretty, pretty tragic. Basically, I don't think there are any good options, unfortunately. Uh, but uh, but yeah, uh, you know, I would say speak, though, to, to again, maybe the larger picture here. Uh, okay. You talked about. You know, we talked about soft power earlier. Um, and to some extent, you know, what's um, I, I believe it's uh, Henry Kissinger supposedly said it. Uh, it. It may be apocryphal, but that that uh, Vietnam was the war we had to fight to avoid fighting World War Three. Um, there's there's something to that of sending the message to others in the world uh, that when we undertake a commitment, we're going to see it through. Uh, and I think that that's problematic because there's there's going to be other places in the world uh, where we're going to need help uh, and and people aren't going to be willing to help us. They're not going to literally risk life and limb um, uh, if they think, uh, you know, the United States is going to be here for a couple of years and then they're out. Um, so I, I that's that's the other piece that I look at is the what does it say to other places in the world, other countries about our, our resolution, uh, in, uh, sure. in fighting terrorism. No, and that, that's a reasonable point. In fact, I know a number of folks brought that point up when, uh, president Obama decided to, uh, you know, the, the major drawdown of troops, uh, in Afghanistan and in Iran and there are, or, sorry, Iraq. And there are, we don't have troops in Iran, um, not yet. Uh, and in Iraq, and you know, there are a lot of people who said, this is exactly what sort of, uh, emboldened the terrorists. And this is why we have these issues is that we should have just resigned ourselves to, you know, a, a certain level of, of, of troop strength in those areas and indefinitely, essentially. And that's a, you know, that's very different, though, from how we're used to thinking about these things. These wars have been going on for a long time, and we're talking about essentially non-ending wars at, at this point. These are much longer than any other wars we fought, and this is a whole well, again, different we're not, Yeah, because we're not fighting armies, we're not fighting states, yeah. we're not, uh, it's, it's a, a completely different... Uh, different type of of uh, battlefield, and 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 the the enemies that we're fighting are are completely different in their their goals and their their motivations. Yeah, well, and also, you know, I think we need to. This is maybe another topic, but you know, we didn't need to think about how exactly we're fighting them because we can't kill them all. You know, <laughs> and and there's right. this, I think there's a certain logic to the idea that uh, that when you fight somebody, you oftentimes embolden other folks who maybe weren't interested in fighting, you know, creating more radicals and so forth. And and bottom line, I think until some of these fundamental problems of of poverty and unemployment and other things aren't 
if those are always going to be there, it's always going to create breeding grounds for this sort of thing. And so unless we can address those kind of root causes or at least help to address those, we're going to have to just continue with this military option that's never going to go away and isn't going to take care of the, you know, the real problem, I don't think. Yeah. Well, we can talk about root causes, yeah, on another show. Yeah. But, uh, but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure it's that it's necessarily poverty, but uh, poverty doesn't help. Doesn't help. So. Yeah, exactly. All right. Well, before we move on to our next story, a few weeks ago, I announced we were having a Politics Guys contest where people could enter by writing a review of the show on iTunes, following us on Twitter, or retweeting and sharing our new show posts. And I said we'd be announcing the winner who gets a $15 Amazon gift card on the show today. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it is today. And so our winner, chosen at random from everyone who participated, is Danny from New York. Congratulations, Congratulations, Danny. Danny. Yeah. Expect to see that Amazon gift card in your email sometime this week. And thanks also to everyone who reviewed, followed, tweeted, and shared the show over the last few weeks. We hope you'll continue to do so because, you know, your positive recommendations, that's the best way we can spread the word, increase our audience size, and make it possible for us to keep on bringing the show to you long term. Thanks, everyone, for your support. We really appreciate it. Oh, Oh, can I just jump in on on something? You sure can. Uh, I posted something on the Facebook page starting another contest uh, for uh, best conservative rock song. Oh, yeah. Uh, and and we don't have that many entries. So I think we will hold it open for another week to see if we get some more entries for best conservative rock song. It doesn't necessarily have to be by a conservative. Uh, certainly that's hard to find in, in uh, the music world. Uh, but uh, yeah, send us your your entry, your pick. I've got I've got my picks, and it, it, it's tricky because it has to be sort of it has to be kind of more subtle than, um, yeah, you know, a lot of liberal stuff. So it's there aren't a lot of rock songs that celebrate the man. Exactly, Thank there aren't. God. But but there are. I believe there are songs that that uh, I think celebrate uh, the freedom, the individuality, uh, and so forth. That uh, I think conservatism. Um, uh, You're talking about a rock song, not a country its, song. As its core, yeah. Right, not a country song. Not not a country song, because again, I think, I, you know, we had a comedy set out with a country song, and I think I think country song, that's too easy. Um, that's sure. sort of like, okay, give me a, a liberal folk song. You know what I mean? It's it's just kind of... Right, uh, gotcha. You know, I think that, that's, that's fish, good. Fish in a barrel kind of thing. All right, well, yeah. So. We'll look look forward to getting getting your response to check us. You can, and you can find it on our Facebook page there. And uh, we're, I think that should be really interesting. We'll, we will hope to announce the winner, right, uh, next week on the show. Yeah, and it will be based solely on on uh, Mike and I's decision based on our encyclopedic knowledge of uh, of music. Yeah, there you go. Okay. Really, we're not kidding. Actually, we, between... Between, between the two of us, we know we know a lot of stuff. We do. We absolutely do. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Turning back to the domestic scene. This week, the state of Ohio filed a lawsuit against the pharmaceutical industry, arguing that drug companies misled doctors and patients about the dangers of opioid drugs. You know, Ohio's lawsuit is not the first filed by a state either. Mississippi filed a similar lawsuit in 2015 that's still pending. West Virginia has reached settlements with drug companies that will pay the state tens of millions of dollars, and a number of local governments are considering suits of their own. And some people say that this is kind of reminiscent of the wave of lawsuits against the tobacco industry in the 1990s, which of course led to that massive settlement agreement in 1998, which Big Tobacco agreed to pay out over $200 billion over 25 years to the state's filing suit. So Jay, what do you think about this approach? Well, it, it this pains me to say this. Uh, uh, I am, uh, you know, again, this was brought by Ohio Attorney General Mike DeWine, Mike um, who has been a, a fixture of Ohio politics for for decades. Oh yeah, uh, he is uh, running for governor, um, and uh, I like I like Mike DeWine a lot. Uh, I think he's a a very good and, and decent person. Um, I disagreed with some of the things he did when he was in the Senate. And I, I also disagree with this. Um, I, I'm, I'm not a fan of, of using the legal system, uh, to, to get this kind of change. And I, I'm not sure that, you know, the suit is, is, is that strong. We'll see again, this is just the allegations. So we'll see how it, how it plays out. Sure. And I suppose if there uh, are actual misrepresentations that were being made, regarding the the addictive nature of opioids uh, to doctors then then yeah there's there's something there and it ought to be pursued but but let's think a minute I mean we're talking about you know the addictive nature of, of opioids I mean how uh, 
this this would seem to be uh, uh, one of these kind of common sense things where a lot of conservatives and myself uh, often lament that. Uh, come on, uh, the danger is is pretty self evident. Uh, I mean, again, similar to the the tobacco suits, where uh, the na- dangers of tobacco had been known for years and years and years and years, uh, and yet, uh, you know, we filed suit on the basis that some people were somehow unable to comprehend these dangers, or that it became so addicted that uh, they had to disregard them. So, I, look, I, I salute uh, the attorney general in trying to do something, uh, but. I, I don't know that this is this is the the thing to do, and it it um, uh, it, it sets a troubling precedent again for suing drug companies uh, again it, based on based on what we know, uh, and just to kind of be a kind of sort of a cash cow sort of thing. Um, so 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 are you saying? Let me, I have to make sure I understand. So are you saying that uh, false and misleading advertising is okay when when we, whoever we is, to decide that uh, people should have recognized that it's false. Well, no, I, I would say it's it's not false and misleading if if the the danger is is so obvious. Right uh, to 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 you. To know, you for, for, certainly. Exa- for example, I mean, if someone in in 1997 had uh, said, "Hey, s- smoke a pack of Camels. It's good for you," um, you know, I, I think most anyone with with any sort of a brain would say no no this is this is absolutely nonsense um, sure let me let me just jump in right there but of course you have, the, to, the, you have to reasonably to, to be defrauded you have to be uh reasonably rely sure. upon the false statement but, but, but let me just jump in for a little bit on that because certainly you know a big part of the tobacco lawsuits was the argument that not what happened in the 1990s but that people were getting cooked on tobacco and it's obviously very addictive back it wasn't in the, labeled as addictive back in the back in the 60s and 70s when the science wasn't clear on it and there were a lot of people who you know could you know, who didn't necessarily believe that or didn't want to believe it. Because one thing we know, it's easy to say, well, a rational person shouldn't believe this. We know that human beings have an amazing capacity to cherry pick facts and decide to believe what they want to believe. And there are plenty of people would say, you know what, if that if it were that dangerous, the government would ban it. Or if it were that dangerous, they wouldn't be allowed to advertise. And it's simply not the case. And so that's why I say, I think this is exactly the sort of thing that the legal system should deal with. And I have, I have no problem with this suit going forward. Well, the, the other piece, though, with the, the tobacco industry, uh, the tobacco suits, was there was evidence to indicate not only did, did the tobacco companies not uh, label it as as addictive, but they took steps to make it more addictive. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I don't know that that's the case here. Uh, and it's also, to me, a matter of the the audience to whom this is, is being sold. Um, this is pharmaceutical reps who were selling this to doctors who are then prescribing uh, to patients. Um, and that's, you know, the, the idea that uh, the doctors would somehow didn't understand the, the risks of addiction. Um, maybe they did, maybe they didn't. I, and that's probably going to be an individual uh, case on a doctor-by-doctor basis. But again, I... I, I, guess, uh, I, I applaud what he's trying to do sure. something about the problem, uh, but uh, just suing the deep pocket, I don't think is is the way to go. Well, but isn't this the way? I mean, you know, you point out rightly so that the tobacco industry was engaged in some pretty nefarious things, right, to make their product even more addictive and so forth, and and certainly that came as a surprise to a number of people who didn't want to believe that. And that all came out right as part of the discovery process that, you know, as part of that lawsuit. And I would think that maybe, you know, maybe, maybe this case for the opioid manufacturers isn't as strong, but that's the great thing about this, right? Is it's going to shine some light on this and we can find out to a certain extent what they were saying internally, whether or not they knew that this product was going to be addictive, and they basically, you know, cherry picked studies and lied about it to try to increase their profit margin when they knew that this would result in people being addicted and killed. And obviously, this is, you know, a, a huge 
issue, right? Prescription drug deaths have more than quadrupled since 1999, says the CDC, and there are around 2 million Americans that are either dependent on or abusing prescription opioids. So this is a, a huge deal. It's been a huge cash cow for these companies. And, you know, and if, if, if there's nothing there, there's nothing there. But I wouldn't be surprised uh, you know, if there actually is something there, certainly. And so this is a big deal. Okay. Well, I, you know, I, I would say there's other ways to do it than file suit. But, well, yeah, but I, 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 I just, get where you're coming from. Yeah. If, if you want to get the the discovery and, and uh, see what uh, see what's out there, see what they knew and what they when they knew it. Um, yeah. Uh, that that'll be enlightening for everybody. I I, so I would say I agree that there are also other ways. Uh, you know, for instance, a a, a strong and vigilant FDA, uh, the same FDA that uh, President Trump wants to cut the budget of by around thirty one percent. But uh, you know, wait, wait 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 a minute. What I mean didn't wouldn't didn't we have a strong and vigilant FDA under uh, President Obama? I would I would when argue, all these drugs were being produced. Well, and, I, I would and argue sold? we can do more. In certain areas, okay. you know, we learn right. about things and we, and again, this is not an argument for across the board regulation. You know, you and I have talked about this in the past. I think that there are plenty of areas where we need to cut regulations. We can make a really strong case for that. It's, it's not to me, the issue isn't more or less regulation. It's where is regulation the smartest? Where, are, where are there issues where there are certain market failures where that we can at least minimize the, the harm of through regulation. And we need to be very selective about that. There are some areas that should be regulated like crazy. And there are some areas that should be kind of left mostly alone. And so it's not a one size fits all thing as far as I'm concerned. Okay. Okay. All right, then uh, it's time for what we're reading this week, where we step back from the crazy pace of the news cycle and talk about the more in-depth, thoughtful things we're reading, listening to, or watching. So, Jay, what do you got? Oh, you, uh, you first. Okay. You first because I'm trying to pull, up, pull, okay. out, pull it up because I've forgotten the author's name. I can do that. <laughs> My recommendation this week is The Conversation. Now, I'm not talking about that 1974 movie with Gene Hackman, though you should check that out too because it's really good. But the website, uh, it's theconversation.com. Uh, they cover politics, policy, all kinds of other stuff. And the articles are written by subject matter experts, not, you know, some journalist who happened to get an assignment. And what I really like is right, not only that they're experts, but right next to every article, they list the institutional affiliation of the author. And usually it's like a university or think tank or something. They also list a disclosure statement to highlight any conflicts of interest. And if you click on the author's name, you get a detailed biography that gives you like their education, publications, other stuff. And so, you know, I, like for instance, I saw this article by a guy who was writing about uh, Donald Trump's prospects for 2020. And it seemed kind of interesting. I clicked on it. turns out he's this kind of radical sociologist guy. And I kind of rolled my eyes and moved on. But, you know, and so that's the kind of information that's really useful that most websites, most, you know, most places you don't get. And I found this is some really high level, thoughtful stuff for the most part. Now, this article was maybe an exception as far as I was concerned, but I definitely uh, think that people who are looking for something more than your kind of, you know, uh, scandal sensationalist kind of story of the day want to, would want to check it out. And again, that's uh, theconversation.com. Okay, Jay, what's yours? Well, you're going to be disappointed in me. Um, Again, I'm going to go with the uh, something that was in the Wall Street Journal weekend edition, and I can't pull up the article right now. Um, but the, the 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 question it asks is, uh, do we still need nations? Uh, and I think that's sort of one of these big picture things that we ought to think about. Uh, the article comes out and says that that we do, um, but you know we are in a different a different state, uh, than where we were hundreds of years ago. And we've talked about this before in some of these other, like the, the Ben Sass piece a couple of weeks ago, um, where this is really a, a, a turning point in, in sort of civilization. I mean, not to make too big a deal of it. Um, but this isn't, this is more than just, uh, you know, economic shifts. Uh, and maybe we're, we're back to the, you know, this is also, there are going to be political shifts like there were in, uh, I think it was 1648 was the uh, uh, it uh, Treaty of, of West Westphalia, yeah. uh, where we, we, you know, Western Europe sort of came up with the idea of nation states. Um, and, and again, has, has that, is that uh, idea kind of becoming uh, uh, unuseful? Uh, again, uh, the, 
the the consensus of the, the article is that no, we still need that. If if you're going to have a demo, democracy, you need to have a a people and a vehicle essentially through through which it could operate. Um, but it also notes that that in in many places there seems to be more of a breakdown, more of a uh, tribalism, uh, if you will, uh, that that is making nation states more difficult to govern and, and making them less powerful actors than than uh, certainly were in 1648. Um, and again, I apologize because I had it queued up and now I can't find it. Um, we, will we will find it though. We will, we will post a link. Uh, from, oh, hold on, hold on. Jay will uh, send. The case, go ahead. Whoops. Oh, uh, Roger Scruton uh, writes about the case for nations. And he is, I believe, a philosopher, actually, a conservative yeah. philosopher, which makes sense. He actually yeah. has written some other pretty interesting stuff. I, I think as a general rule, Jay, you would say that people really should read the Wall Street Journal. Absolutely. No, and, <laughs> and again, I, I apologize. I always I tend to pick or at least recently have picked stuff from Saturday, Saturday Wall Street Journal. And partially that's because uh, it comes the day before we do the show. And it's sort of, you know, the Saturday edition is kind of devoted to some of these uh, more big ideas, conversational kind of kind of things. Yeah, I, I would well, also. I'll, I'll get you something else next week. I, I would also point out that I I agree. I read the Wall Street Journal on a regular basis. There's all kinds of good stuff in there. You know, I want to know what the other side's up to. And, and also, if you are uh, if you are a student or you have access to a university email account, you can get some pretty good deals. I think there was for a while a thing where you could actually get free subscriptions to both the Wall Street Journal and the New York Times at total. Totally worth your time and effort to do that if you can. So there you go. Yep. All right. Well, that's it for this episode. Thanks everyone for listening. If you've got a question, comment, correction, or just a random thought you want to share, you can reach us at mail at politicsguys.com. Our Facebook page where you can message us and we'll repost throughout the week. And remember, we've got that contest on best conservative uh, song, facebook.com slash politicsguys page. We're also on Twitter at politicsguys. You know, we really appreciate our great listeners who have generously supported the show through their donations. And if you'd like to join them, you can do that through the Patreon or PayPal links on our website, politicsguys.com. And don't, don't forget that you also on politicsguys.com. Now you can buy politics guys gear, all kinds of interesting stuff there. Uh, if money's tight or you're already a financial supporter, please consider hitting the share icon on your podcast app to pass along this show to your friends and followers or leave ratings or reviews of the show on the app and tweet and retweet our new show post. That really is very helpful. And finally, thanks to today's sponsors. First is SeatGeek, the fast and easy way to get seats to live performances. Download their app and use our code POLITICSGUY, no S, and get $20 off your first purchase. And also Dollar Shave Club, the smarter choice. For a limited time, new members can get their first month of the Executive Razor, four cartridges, and a tube of their Dr. Carver Shave Butter for only 5 bucks with free shipping. And you can only get this offer by going to dollarshaveclub.com slash TPG. That's dollarshaveclub.com slash TPG. We'll be back with a new interview this Wednesday and our weekly analysis of the news on Sunday. We hope you'll join us.